Now, Deuteronomy, as opposed to some of the others, is actually surprisingly easy for us to move through. Uh, we, we haven't been together in a while, so just as a, a way of reminder, we're going through each of these books of the Bible. Uh, we're not close to halfway through. <laughs> we're not close to a fourth of the way through, but we're, we're really making progress. Uh, this is the end uh, of the first five books Uh, The Pentateuch, the Torah, the law. Uh, And so we're coming here, and and my goal is not to give you every single uh, um, uh, verse's exposition and every single theme that you might find in the book and every single uh, moment where you would kind of very clearly see Jesus. That's on this handy-dandy handout. Uh, but, But what I am trying to do through these lessons on Wednesday night, is allow you to open up your Bibles without, uh, uh, without me preaching from it and for you to be confident to move through it. Uh, and with Deuteronomy, sometimes it's like Leviticus or Numbers. We can open it up uh, maybe in our new 2018 Bible reading plan. Uh, we can read the first little bit and think we can do it, get stuck in some law, get very nervous, Start to read some other things, get even more nervous, and then stop. But uh, what I'm telling you is that with just a few key themes that we'll see tonight and that you'll see on this handout uh, as, as you move through, we can really, really profitably read the book of Deuteronomy. It's been called the Romans, uh, the book of Romans of the Old Testament. Uh, that, that's what Deuteronomy is. Uh, it's that wonderful, wonderful proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see it right here in Deuteronomy. We don't have to wait till Romans. Let's pray before we talk a little bit more. Heavenly Father, we do come to you thankful that we have your word. More uh, than that, that we can open it up and that we can read it uh, in the English language, the language that we know. Uh, God, I pray uh, that as we look to see Jesus in this text, as we look to see what you would have for us in this text, that you would allow us to move profitably through it, that you would give us a great paradigm, that we could open it up on our own, and that we could devote ourselves unto you on a daily basis, all for your glory. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, Deuteronomy. If you look on our handout, I'm not going to go through uh, some of the larger uh, pieces, but if you look on our handout, the theme, uh, this is pretty straightforward. The generational God that is the God uh, that is not God of just us, but also our kids. The generational God of Israel has brought the promised fulfillment of deliverance and blessing to his people. What do I mean? Well, uh, by way of introduction, maybe we'll start with where the book starts, which is a recap. It's a recap of where Israel has been since they left Egypt. That's what Moses is doing uh, in these first chapters. And he mixes in a few other things. But what he's doing is recalling their history of the 40 years of wandering, the 40 years being the punishment that they had to enter into because they were unfaithful uh, and because they did not believe uh, that God would deliver them uh, and, and give them the promised land. And so at the very beginning, they're standing, by the way, at the Jordan River, looking at the promised land. They're, they're there. They can see it again. And this is where Moses stops. And he begins to recall 
Where it is they have gone and where it is they will go. That's the start. You see it in really, really kind of more than this, but kind of the first five, six chapters. It it sets the stage for everything else uh, that happens. Uh, It's 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 their history. An interesting moment. Uh, Please go with me to chapter 1, verse 34. That'll be good enough. This happens all over the place, but this will be as good as others. Uh, there, there's a, a potentially confusing moment that happens here, uh, and it's good for us to see because it's important enough uh, uh, for God's people to recognize what's happening. Uh, Deuteronomy 1, verse 34, we'll read a few verses. Notice something peculiar that's happening. Uh, there is the use of the first person, uh, you, y'all, but... Moses is talking about something that happened 40 years ago. Listen to it. Deuteronomy 1, verse 34. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me the Lord was angry on your account, and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. There's something peculiar happening here because it's, it's, it's not the right tense. It's like Moses is, uh, is, say, is saying a story, but he's entering everyone into the story. And he's playing Moses because he's Moses. But then all of a sudden, the children who had not sinned are playing the part of their sinful parents. And he's saying, you have sinned, and you must go and journey, and you must go. And because of your sin, and because of you, and he's pointing the finger at the children who actually weren't at fault. It was their parents who have all died, by the way. That's why they're back. The 40 years journey, if y'all recall this, it's been a while, a month and a half. Um, But if you recall, the 40 years journey, we see this in numbers, was so that all the parents could die. Uh, That was the punishment. And now that all of that generation has died, except for Moses, they are now standing right next to the promised land, waiting on that generation to die. One more man. He's the only one who's left, aside from Joshua and Caleb. Everyone else has no idea what what Moses is talking about. And yet, the history is so real and so important uh, to to Moses that, that he enters them into it. Uh, this is, this is a, a very important theme that will play itself out through Deuteronomy and indeed plays itself out through Scripture. And that's the generational nature of our God. I, I said it in the theme. He's a generational God. You know, God blesses our children. Uh, God blesses uh, our families. He, he's a God not of individuals but of community. And you see it very obviously here as he enters uh, these individuals into a story that really... they. They were infants, if alive, uh, maybe, maybe five, maybe ten. Uh, they, were not, they were not able uh, to understand what was happening. And yet, uh, because of, of this reality and how these things played out, there are lessons to be learned and remembered, and they will be continually 
emphasized, and we'll see this in some examples. Uh, that's the start. Uh, um, but, but before we kind of dive in uh, to some specific examples, I, I want, and I, I say this in the connection passage part of our special handout, so look at that, really look at it, but Deuteronomy holds vast significance for the rest of Scripture, all right? Uh, they're standing on the promised land. It, there's, it, it's the context. They're standing here. God, God has entered into punishment, and yet is now bringing them out of punishment into salvation, into the promised land signifying salvation, and it keeps on speaking of this gospel reality, and we'll see those examples. Um, but because of that, uh, there are just widespread usages of Deuteronomy in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, many books rely heavily on Deuteronomy. Uh, just a few examples for y'all to kind of keep this in mind. Um, should we flip to these? There's quite a few. Sure, let's go to chapter 19. We'll just do uh, some that are in order. Chapter 19, verse 15. This is just an example, some examples to help y'all see how Deuteronomy affects the rest of our Christian heritage, the rest of the, the story that we see play out in the Bible uh, leading up uh, to Jesus and then beyond. Chapter 19, verse 15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. You know, Peter... That, that, uh, the apostle that uh, we kind of followed the life of Peter as he was interacting with Jesus. You know, he denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus said, do you love me? Three times to Peter in John 21. That's on the basis of this principle. Three witnesses against yourself. That was the custom. I swear, I swear, I swear. Oh, on the third one, you really meant business. That came from this passage right here. Deuteronomy 19, 15. It's, 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 you know, there are others as well, but uh, just, just as an example, uh, chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. We'll, we'll just march through um, these chapters since we're in them. That way we're not flipping everywhere. Uh, chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. Um, let me find it here. His body shall not remain all night. I'm just going to read 23. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. Uh, you shall not defile your land that the Lord is giving you for an inheritance. Uh, oh, and then verse 22. I'm sorry. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, that is why he is cursed. Uh, cursed is the, is the man who hangs on a tree. Does that remind you of anybody? It should remind you of your Savior, Jesus, who was hung on the tree. Paul mentions this in Galatians 3, 13. This is about Jesus, the man that was hung on a tree, the very law that we find here in Deuteronomy. It's Jesus. Uh, another example, chapter 22, verse 12. This is kind of a cool one. Uh, you shall make for yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. Ah, another law in the Old Testament that we don't need to really know or care about. You know, the woman uh, that was in the crowd as Jesus was walking to heal uh, Jairus' daughter. There was a woman that had an extenuating circumstance, one that lasted for the years, a discharge. Well, she touched the tassels of Jesus' garment. Ah, the very same tassels that Jesus wore uh, because of the commandment, you shall make for yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment that you wear. You see Jesus within these things. Uh, they, they play themselves out even in Jesus' own life and spiritual practices. 
Uh, we can go on and on. Uh, maybe one that, that I like a lot, chapter 25, verse 4. Y'all might not think this is a funny joke, but I'm going to try it anyway. You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. You know, Paul uses this text to talk about ministers. Uh, he, he says, listen, you're not supposed to muzzle them. Pay them. Pay them money. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> I got one laugh. I got one laugh. <laughs> that's a, I heard a feed them. Just, that, that's just feeding. That's just food. Oh, that, it makes more sense now. I'll remember that. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, uh, for those listening at home, it, it didn't go over too well. Uh, <laughs> that did for some reason. <laughs> okay, uh, that, that's just a few examples. There are so many. We just marched through a couple chapters. In every chapter, we see the significance of Deuteronomy. And so, uh, not only is there significance for the, for the people, the pro- God's promise children who are about to enter into Canaan, uh, but, but by God's providence and, and in his spirit, he has preserved this for us that we might see and benefit by uh, the revealed gospel of Jesus in every verse, in every chapter, in every section that we see here. And this is true of all of scripture, but with Deuteronomy, there's just something special about it. That's why a lot of uh, theologians refer to it as that Romans uh, of the Old Testament, because you know, like Romans, we, we see there this very uh, particular and unique and wonderful uh, portraying of the gospel. We see it here in Deuteronomy 2. Check it out. That, that's the first theme that I want us to really hone in on. There, there are two themes that if we remember will help us read Deuteronomy. This is the first one. Hear it. It's the fact that there is gospel clarity, and that's it. Don't, don't overstate it. It's just gospel clarity. Look at some of the, look at some of the verses with me, uh, and, and they're going to be on these. It, if you're taking notes, you, you could be able to just make a star, because most of them are here on the solid rock verses. I recorded them for you, because the, there are these moments, these ripples, where you just can't help but see, whoa, this is the Old Testament. This is a book of law, and here... We see the gospel. Uh, that, that is, in case y'all were wondering, the gospel, that, that we can't do it on our own. That we can't obey the law. That's what I'm saying. In a book of the law, we see this very truth. That we can't do it on our own. That God must work on our behalf. That's what Deuteronomy is, is the generational God of Israel fulfilling the promise of deliverance and blessing to his people. Uh, let's flip, let's, let's look at this, uh, this gospel clarity. Let's go first to chapter 4, verse 25. Chapter 4. Remember, this is that first theme, all right? Gospel clarity. As you read Deuteronomy, you should be reading with a mind to see uh, what God has for his people as they're entering into this promised land. What should they remember? This is what God wants them to know. Chapter 4, verse 25. When you father children and children's children, we might stop there just to remind you. Remember, this is a generational God. He doesn't just care about, about the people he's talking to. He's also talking about their children and their children's children, which is really an emphatic kind of Hebrew idiom, meaning you better just keep this going down the line. 
All right, that's what he's meaning. So when you father children, children's children, and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call, this is Moses speaking, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Here it comes. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you. He will not destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Now remember, I know it's been a while because of the holiday break, but remember these covenants and how important they are. It's a promise uh, with a consequence, and God promised upon his own death, which if you think about it, God cannot die because he's God, and so it's going to be perfectly fulfilled if he does promise it, and he has, and what he has promised is that he will keep his people, and he will not let them perish. He has promised it. When we go astray, when we try to run as hard as we can away from him, when we disobey him on purpose, all of these things, there will be consequence. But God is a merciful God, and he will not leave you, and he will not destroy you. Uh, Super, super important for us to see that that it is God who is the one preserving this nation. Because the people of Israel are God's people. We are God's people. We are that spiritual Israel. Uh, And that's what we see in the New Testament as as Jesus reveals uh, that it's not just Jew that is meant to be saved, but Jew and Gentile, uh, 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 Greek and barbarian, slave and free. It's wonderful. All right, let's keep going. That's one. Uh, What's some other gospel clarities? Well, we see uh, in chapter 7. Let's go to uh, 7. You see it on the solid rock verses here. Uh, Chapter 7, verses 6. Through nine. Remember what I'm doing here is I'm pointing out these very particular moments where uh, y'all will be able to have them in the form of this handout and you'll be able to open up Deuteronomy with with this in mind. Oh, yes, there is gospel clarity to be seen. Uh, We're not covering everything, but I hope that we're covering enough. Chapter seven, verse six, gospel clarity. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, here it comes. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Let's just keep going. Chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 9, verse 4. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Here it comes. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations 
the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This reality that God is the one working, not because of anything we could have done. In fact, we fail time and time again. But God doesn't fail. He's promised it, and he fulfills it because he is God, and he keeps his promises. We'll do one more and then move to our second point. Chapter 10, verse 16, a wonderful verse. Can, can you believe that some of these verses are in the Old Testament? Can you believe that some of these verses are in the book of the law? Chapter 10, verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Uh, you know, these things, these external practices, circumcision being one of them, a sign and a seal of, of what it meant to be a part of the people of God, baptism, uh, uh, we believe, scripture shows, uh, is the spiritual successor of circumcision in the Old Testament, a, a, a revealing and opening of that promise to all infants, for instance, females. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful including sacrament uh, that we see in baptism that reveals the very same thing that circumcision does. And, and, and it is God, again, who, who is placing this upon us and who is showing this to us. Uh, it is not us. There is gospel clarity. And the clarity of the gospel is this. We cannot do it, but God can and does. And he's doing it here for the people of Deuteronomy. He's doing it for us now. He did it uh, 100 years ago. He'll do it 100 years later until Jesus comes again. Okay, that's the first one. There's many more passages where you see this, this very obvious gospel clarity. It, it's like um, these, these high point moments where as you're reading through the book of Deuteronomy, you, you don't get bogged down, but, but you're kind of you're dipping and you're looking at the law, you're looking at the ceremony, and you're wondering, how does this reveal Jesus? How do I see uh, uh, you know, the parts of the gospel within this, this certain law that I know we shouldn't, you know, we're not necessarily doing now, but I, I know that Jesus has done away with this, but, but he's being revealed. How, how do I see that? Boom, you come out into this high point where these moments of gospel clarity, and, and they give you this breath and this reality, and then you dip back in to devote yourself in the rest of the text, and you can see more clearly what's happening uh, and, and that's our second point, are these dips. We have these high points where it's very obvious. It's very obvious that, that, that this is the gospel, that God is working because God himself is saying that, or Moses is saying it uh, by the inspiration of God. But then we come to this second theme. It's the gospel unseparated from our lives. That's what Deuteronomy is emphasizing. You know, God is a generational God. He's keeping his promise, and he's revealing how we as Christians... Get, get this straight, not just Jews. Uh, this book was written for the nation of Israel. And what did I say before? We are Israel. This book was written for Christians because all those who would confess in Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, the great I am God, they are Christians. Then they just weren't called that because they didn't know uh, the Greek for uh, Messiah. They just knew Messiah. Uh, and so, but, but don't get it wrong. These are believers that we could find in heaven. If they confess God as their Savior, 
they will be in heaven. And so uh, we see these, this, this book laid out uh, where it's this gospel clarity uh, then thrown into the muck and mire of life. That's the law that's then written out for us here. It's, it's the gospel unseparated from our lives. That's the second theme. And, and if you keep that in mind, you have these gospel clarity moments. And then if you keep in mind that what's happening in the rest of the text is that it's, it's the gospel then being, being not separated, but being smushed into the muck and mire that we actually live in. You see that the law begins to inform in a wonderful way. Let's start with that great summation of the law, chapter 5. This is in the history part, if you recall. Moses is saying, hey, you remember y'all did this. Uh, God did this. We were delivered out this way. We came to this place. He's giving this history. And in it, he recalls uh, God's giving of the Ten Commandments. Uh, This is the summation of the law. It's a wonderful summation. It's how we can move forward very excellently, not to save ourselves. Uh, Jesus is revealed in all of these. Uh, but, then, but then he is revealed in our desire to be able to move forward well uh, with these, uh, these commandments. But, but I'll let y'all read the Ten Commandments, and we can talk about that at a different time. There's something that happens right after that's important, important for us to see. Remember this theme that we're in, the gospel that's unseparated from our life. So this is a great example of that because God gives the law here. But then we get something that we didn't get in Exodus. That's where we see the, the other giving of the Ten Commandments, the, the, the you know, actual point of contact where we receive the two tablets. This is a, a, a recounting, and, and he adds something. See it with me in verse 22. These words of the Lord... Uh, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and he, uh, we will hear it and do it. Think, what cowards? God's speaking to them. I wish I could hear God speak. Listen to God's reply to Moses. This is God speaking to Moses. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. So the people hear God's words. They hear the law given and they freak out. They get nervous and scared because of the holiness that is presented before them. And because in their, in their, uh, uh, their mind's eye, their soul, they realize there is no way we can come into his presence without dying. We need someone to be in the middle. It's the gospel unseparated for life because that's what Jesus does. We get the law, but the law condemns. But Jesus fulfills the law perfectly. 
and stands right in the middle and allows us to walk with him with his merit, with his perfect righteousness, we can then walk right up to the throne, no longer of judgment, but of grace because of what Jesus did for us. And so you see the people rightly scared. God saying, yes, you're right. They need someone in the middle. Moses, you do it for now. I'll send someone greater than you soon. Jesus. And we'll see that uh, as we wrap up tonight, uh, uh, that very truth that Moses himself is representing Jesus and that, that this gospel is unseparated for life but, but, but totally informs it and, and, and helps us to move well through it. Let's look at just a few more examples and then we'll be done. Chapter 17 is another good example. Well, let's do, uh, let's do chapter 6. I'm sorry. Uh, this, is, this is important enough for us that we need to, we need to look. I, I spoke to you all that God is a generational God. Uh, God is a God of, of the family. This is a gospel that is clear, that is then unseparated from life. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and we'll read just three, three or four verses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, we've heard that before. That's one of the greatest commandments. Jesus spoke of this. No one ever reads the next verses, and they should. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. That way, whenever you do any work, oh, the Lord is my God. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, kind of dangle right here. Oh, what is that? It's God. I remember him. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Every time you leave for work, you remember God. Every time you come in from work, you remember the God who has saved you and why you were doing the work in the first place. Not for yourself, not even for your family, but for God. And it is he who has provided it. And then you can provide for those near you. It's this reality that in Deuteronomy 6, it's wonderful here, right? Do it everywhere. Speak of your God when you're laying down, when you're rising up, with your children, when you're sitting. It's all inclusive. It's not separated. It's, it's together. Uh, it's, it's smushed into how we live our lives, and, and, it's, and it provides us a way forward. Uh, we still feel like we get dirty, and yet the, the dirt washes off by the blood and merit of Christ, and we can really and truly then fulfill uh, that which God calls us to, loving him with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Just as Jesus then sums up all of the law, that's the summation. All right, with that being said, another good example is chapter 17. You know, I keep saying it over and over, but it's important uh, because these two themes will help us read it, uh, that, that we see these very m clear moments of the gospel, and then boom, it, we hit the gospel that's not separated, but, but totally flooding into our lives. Uh, chapter 17, I'm not going to read it all, uh, but we'll just read maybe chapter 14 through, not, not all the way through, but uh, uh, I mean, sorry, verse 14. Uh, Leviticus 17, verses 14 through 20. Y'all can read it on your own. Um, but this is, this is the people, before they had a king, getting instructions for when they would have a king. 
they got in trouble for asking for a king later. So what is happening here? Well, it's just the stone-cold reality, like I said before, of God uh, uh, truly condescending and truly, uh, truly being merciful and gracious to a sinful people. Because in sin, look it up in Judges. Uh, look it up in, uh, not, uh, not Judges, rather, um, uh, in the beginnings of Samuel. Look it up. The people are crying out for a king, and it is sinful. And yet God here is establishing how they might be saved. In his providence, he is not, uh, he is not uh, 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 controlling their sin. They are willfully sinning. And yet God is good and God is merciful and God is gracious. And so he sets up a way for us to be uh, released from this sin. And it happens in the muck and the mire of the life that we're living. For them, they were calling out for a king. Here, uh, God, uh, through Moses, lays out what a king really must do and what King Jesus will look like. Not King Saul, not King David, not King Solomon, none of the other sinful kings that follow. King Jesus is the only one who fulfills that which we see here. Um, but that reality of what he calls his kings to shows us Jesus and shows us how in the, in the muck and the mire of our lives, God is there ready to set us up for salvation. He is the one who saves, and he'll do it even through our sin. And he did that for the kingdom of Israel. Chapter 18, uh, let's look at this as we conclude. Uh, chapter 18 is going to fit in quite nicely uh, with, our, with our ending. You know, we got the start, right? I always do these studies. If this is your first one or if this is your middle one or if you just don't remember, we do the start because it's good to know where we start and we see how the book ends. Because it's important to know how the story ends. And so uh, this middle part, chapter 18, we get this very peculiar prophecy, verse, starting with verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, this is Moses speaking, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of Yahweh your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. Hear it well. That's why I read chapter 5 earlier. God is answering their plea with Jesus. He's going to raise up a prophet greater than Moses of which Moses was the greatest. He's going to raise up a prophet to do that which Moses was doing, interceding for his people. Jesus is the great interceder. And so we see again uh, this reality of God entering in, providing for us that which we need. Ultimately, Jesus. We need Jesus to be saved. And we see that provision here in our lives. This is who we cry out to. Uh, this is who we need. Having said that, then we come to the end. Let's just Let's go over to um, uh, verse 32, uh, chapter 32, and then we'll end with chapter 34. We come to the end. We've seen, we see this, this uh, gospel clarity, this reality that, that even in the book of the law, the book that's found later in the temple that, that actually and truly reveals the law, capital L, to God's people. They had lost it, and they found it. It was this book, that law. Jesus is clearly and utterly revealed and proclaimed. And it is seen uh, and it's obvious that God is the one who must do the work. 
We come to the end. Moses is singing a song because God told him to sing a song. Uh, I'll just read one verse uh, or two verses of this song. It's important for us to, to, really, to really latch on uh, to, to when we see, you know, I don't know how y'all's Bibles look, but, you know, when you see the text, this, these poetry moments start to happen, usually something important is happening in it. Uh, the, the song, you know, we think is wonderful, and we see all these different, you know, uh, illustrations, but, but uh, I encourage you not to get lost, but to dive deeply into that language and to steep yourself in it and to see how God is working and revealing himself in it. Uh, and then I just have this one verse that I would encourage us to hold on to. It's the second part of it. Paul quotes it, a couple other people. Verse 41, uh, we'll start with verse 40 just to have it. For I, I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh. With the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy, rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Uh, Elsewhere in the text, we also see that famous one, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Uh, We see that God is the one who is acting on behalf of his people. Uh, I I mentioned this point. We don't have have time to talk about it, but that second point, the gospel clarity point, theme, is very easy to see. It's very obvious. We read it, and it's literally God is doing this. God is saving you. God will save you. You will sin. God will save you. You'll see all that in the solid rock verses. But as you move through the rest of the text, there are these moments where where I pray that you will hold fast to that reality that the gospel isn't just in these moments of declaration, but they're in the moments of action. And here we see in Moses' song, over and over, he's crying out to the people, let God work. Don't take, don't be prideful, don't be greedful, uh, uh, greedy, don't stand on your pedestal and and seek to take his power. Allow God to work on your behalf. Your parents, they didn't do it. They tried to usurp his power and they were punished for it because because they, they needed to. They were chastised as children because they needed that. They needed to be humbled. Moses is saying, humble yourselves, be humble, recognize the gospel clarity that God is working and humble yourselves because you can't do it. And if you try, you're going to fail. And if you fail, you're going to be sent into exile. And if you don't repent, you're going to perish there. Please humble yourselves. And that's the cry that he ends with. These are his final words. This is his final formal words. Allow God to work. Allow God to work. See that reality, and as that gospel slams into your lives, allow it to. If there's carnage, there's carnage, but allow it to happen. See it in Deuteronomy. See it in God's people's history, and as you see it in your own life, you will see growth in grace. You will see growth in holiness, all because of what God is doing, not because of anything you are doing. So then we come to the end. The very end, chapter 34. Moses, he's about to die. Chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. I'm not going to read it all. (laughs) I got laughs out of that. People couldn't hear it. Uh, Verse 5. 
So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes, his eye was undimmed, his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. That great prophet, he's died. He's the last one. They had been waiting on him to die, not in a crass way, not in a crude way, but now that he is gone, they are going to enter into the promised land. I would encourage you, uh, before we go to prayer, as you look on these solid rock verses, look at chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. That's the blessings and the curses. We'll talk about it in the book of Joshua as well, briefly. Um, But you'll see that gospel clarity smashed into the uh, gospel uh, unseparatedness uh, that we see in our lives. It's another great example, and it comes in the blessing and the curses. But uh, I pray that you'll remember this as you open up Deuteronomy, even if it's just maybe in Bible studies or uh, if it's in your own personal reading, you know, maybe you're doing the 2018 reading plan or whatever it might be. Remember these two themes, that God uh, reveals uh, the gospel in, in total clarity, even in the Old Testament even here in Deuteronomy, and that that gospel is not separated. It's slammed into our lives, just like it is for these here. Remember that as you open up God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that the gospel is clearly presented in the word that you have given us, and that more than that, You slam it into our lives even when we, as sinful human beings, desperately don't want that to happen because it makes us uncomfortable and it uh, reveals to us our weakness and our inability to save ourselves. So God, I pray uh, that as we hold fast to your word, as we hold fast to the book of Deuteronomy, help us to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might, and more than that, Help us to tell our children and our children's children. Help us to tell it on the way, to tell it when we sit, when we lie down, when we rise up. God, I pray that you would keep the gospel of Jesus Christ always at the forefront of our mind, wherever we might be in scripture or in life. In Jesus' name, amen.